0: But it's kind of an interesting tour. So bring your flashlight, and we'll go down there sometime, all right? So anyway, uh, if, if I were to give you a tour of the building and show you all the different spaces, it, it, it would be, okay, well, that's neat. I see what that's used for and so on. And I can tell you the story of the building. Actually, the the, 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 the four walls that surround us right now, this building that we're sitting in was constructed and finished in the mid-1930s. The, the sanctuary building itself is the oldest of all the church property that we have here. The, this building back here, including the baptistry, all of this from this wall back was constructed in the 1950s, and then the front out there... The vestibule and the bathroom in the upper, uh, the red room and in the porch and all that was at in the mid-60s. The building that houses our fellowship hall and the classrooms and the gym and all that, that was constructed in the late 1970s. So you kind of see that's a little bit of the story of our building. I would tell you all those things. And then what I would try to help us understand is that when it comes to us being the church, the building doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the truth is, though we have great facilities here and we have wonderful people who are taking care of them and are doing all that they can to stay ahead of the curve to make sure that we don't incur more expense than we need to, when it comes down to it, the church building doesn't matter because we know from the New Testament that the building isn't the church, the people... Are the church So out of hand, I could tell you this morning that the church building doesn't matter. Now, I've already made some of you angry, and I know that, and that's okay, and I knew I would, and I, I'm kind of setting you up, okay, just so you know. I've made some of you mad already because I said that the church building doesn't matter. But the truth is, this is not the only place that we can meet with God. We do not live in a new in a, rather in an Old Testament mentality anymore that once a year we go to the tabernacle and we meet with God, and the rest of the time, the priest offers sacrifices and so on on our behalf. He goes to God on our behalf. We don't live under that anymore. Because of Jesus, because he is our high priest, now we as individuals, we even as a church body, have access to God all the time, anywhere, no matter what. So if this building were not here, we could still be the church. There's no problem with that. So the building doesn't really matter. Now as much as we want to argue sometimes over these things, it doesn't have to be decorated in a certain way for us to meet with God. Some of you grew up in churches that it had to be just a certain way. And you probably came here because it was a lot like the church and how it was decorated when you were a kid. And you're just real comfortable with the way that our church is set up. Get that. But the church doesn't have to be decorated a certain way. It doesn't even have to be in a particular location. You realize that this is not the original location of Elm Grove Baptist Church. 1936 is a long time ago. Some of you might remember 1936. I don't. But some of you might remember that. A long time ago, though, this is not the original location. You know why the church was moved to this location? Because the major highways are right out there. I tell you what, it's interesting when you start looking back at the history of our church and the, the, the foresight they had to say, this is going to be a, a road that's well-traveled. Let's put our church building right there so people can't miss it. Really interesting. But it doesn't really have to be in any particular location. The truth is that the church building doesn't even have to be there. Now, I'm not going to tear it down or anything, just so you know, but we can still be the church, still experience God's presence, still worship, still fulfill God's mission, even if we don't have this building the way that it looks today. This building, as much as some would like to argue, I'm sure, about their church buildings, this is not an Old Testament holy place. It can't ever be altered. They can't ever have the carpet be a different color and so on and so forth. Some of you were here when it went from green to what it is now. This building is a holy place only when God's people filled with God's Spirit meet with God here. That's what makes it Holy. That's what makes it sacred. That's what sanctifies this place. Otherwise, it's bricks and it's mortar. And the truth is, for the people that God has given us to reach, guess how much they care about what the church building looks like? About zero. 75% studies will tell you of people that are unchurched don't care what kind of church building the church has. They just want to be loved. That's the way it goes. So the church building doesn't matter. So let's close in prayer. You ready? So... (laughs) gotcha. I gotcha. I say that, but at the same time, I want you to know the church building does matter. And it matters a lot. And it matters more than we want to give it credit for sometimes. Because since we have a building, this is where we as Elm Grove Baptist Church gather for worship. This is where we gather to encourage each other, to sing together, to hear the word of God together, to plan together for the mission that God has given us. This is where we gather together to serve one another. This is the location that people think of when they hear the words Elm Grove Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, it's that church right past the cemetery on 94. And I write, yeah, I was talking with somebody. Yeah, I've been by that. I'm, sits up on the hill just a little bit. Yeah, I know Elm Grove Baptist Church. Our building represents us, speaks about us. It says things about us. And so what matters about our building is what happens in us when we're here and what our building represents. And I really believe Jesus cares about those things. I don't think he cares whether we have pews or chairs or a combination of both. I don't think he cares what color the carpet is. I don't think he cares where your Sunday school class meets or what other sacred cows we might have at our church. I really don't think Jesus cares about any of that. But I do believe that he cares about what is happening in us and through us and what our building represents. So what should it represent? That's the question. It matters. Our building matters because it represents us. And so that's what we'll look at today. The series that we're in that will wrap up in a couple weeks is called The Way of the Master. And we've been been looking at sort of how did Jesus live and what did he try to teach his disciples and what was the apprenticeship that they got under him and and what then can we learn? How can we walk in the way of our master? Today is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday represents the day on which Jesus entered Jerusalem and was received with the waving of palm branches and a party and a parade and a celebration, Hosanna to the King of uh, you know, the son of David. That, that was that was the day that the triumphal entry, as your Bible heading will tell you, that's the day that everybody celebrated Jesus. And so in sort of the same way that some of you would say, you know, I'm going to do this, but first, you know, let me take a selfie kind of thing. Some of you do that. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, but first let me stop in the temple. And I'm going to straighten some dudes out because they got it wrong. And I'm going to show, not only for them, but for generations to come, what I want the building that my people meet in to represent. Here's what it should be about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. You got your hand out there. It's got the scripture on it. Matthew, if you're going in a a physical copy of the Bible, is the first book in the New Testament. It's divided from there into chapters. You just flip to the right. You'll get to chapter 21. You'll see that. Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. As I told you, Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and the crowds are cheering Him. People are, are, are loving the fact that here is their Messiah, and they throw a big party and have a parade. Verse 12, Jesus went into the temple complex and drove out all those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple complex, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple complex, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he told them. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. Then he left them and went out of, uh, of the city of Beth, to Bethany, rather, and spent the night there. Our church must represent the things that Jesus is highlighting. And I really think that's part of the problem that he had with these guys here is that the Jews and their leaders didn't fully grasp the significance of the temple. It wasn't just, as we'll see, about the bad stuff they were doing that he got angry at. It was really, they had just missed the point entirely. They had made their religious activity, their temple attendance, really nothing more than kind of an obligatory appearance that they would sort of check off the religious box and so on. And maybe you've been there before and you know that feeling. Now, I'll admit that in this story, Jesus is not going into a church building. So you might say, well, what in the world is the temple complex in in first century Judaism have to do with the church building at Elm Grove Baptist Church. I'll admit that he's not going into a church building, but I really believe that this story can serve as a way both to show them back then and then previewing for us the things that God's people are to be about and to be represented by when they gather together. So I'm going to give you three things today that our building must represent. And if you can get these in your mind and we can begin to, to uh, or not begin, but we can continue to lay the foundation here at church, here at Elm Grove, for these things to be what our building says about us, And I think we'll be on the right track. First is the word mission. Our building must represent mission. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Jesus went into the temple complex and drove out all those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned, he overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Instead of finding a people on mission, Jesus walks in and he finds something totally different from that. He kind of found, uh, I guess what you might say is sort of like a religious business. He didn't find people on mission. He found a, a religious business. He throws out the people who are buying and selling. Now, these things that they're doing were necessary things. We look at Jesus, and we see him getting really angry, and we just figure that everything they were doing was totally wrong, and you shouldn't have been doing any of this stuff whatsoever around the temple. But the problem was, in order for the people to sacrifice properly at the Passover festival, they had to have the proper sacrificial animals. And so what would happen is these folks would travel a long distance. You know, and, and, of course, they weren't driving in a car or flying in an airplane. They were walking or riding a donkey or something like that. And they would travel this long distance, and instead of keeping an animal, a sacrificial animal, with them, they would instead just buy one when they got there. It makes sense. It wasn't anything that was inherently wrong. They would just, you know what, I'm traveling from you know, from Murray, and we're heading up to Paducah, and it's a long walk. You know, you ever tried to walk from Murray to Paducah? No, you haven't. There's a reason. It's a long walk. And so that's what they're doing. And so you know what? I don't want to tow all this stuff with me. I'll just make a purchase when I'm there of an animal that I can then sacrifice. That was common. The problem was that the people selling it were like the folks at the concession stands at the ball games. You ever been to a Major League Baseball game? You go there with your family, you spend 25 bucks a pop to walk into the gate and sit up in the nosebleed section, and then you go to the concession stand because your kids naturally won't eat all the stuff that mom packed in the ginormous purse and shoved it all down in there to get through the door. They want everything else other than that. So you go to the concession stand and, look, I need four hot dogs and three Cokes and some popcorn. That'll be $400.72. <laughs> what? Sorry, man, that's a deal. Where else are you going to go? Nowhere, I suppose. And so here I'll give you my right arm, and later on I'll be back to donate the left. That's just the way that it goes. When you're at a ball game of any kind, what they got you right where they want you. You can't go anywhere. You got to pay whatever it is that they say you're going to pay. And guess what these sellers of the sacrificial animals were doing? They're charging eight fifty for a hot dog. That's just because they could. Seven fifty for the coke to wash it down. That's just the way it was. So Jesus has a problem with them saying, Well, hold on a second. We're going to charge whatever we want. They're making it like a business. Now, in today's world, I'll just tell you, in the church world, there is a great divide over those who would say that the pastor should be the CEO and the church ought to be the good religious business and operate by all those principles. And it's either that or it's the pastor is going to be sort of the shepherd that just pats everybody on the head and tries to help you out a little bit and whatever and sort of operate like a chaplain or a butler. Those two extremes, I don't believe, are either one appropriate. But we can't run the church like a business. You realize that church is not a secular organization, though we have organizational principles and organization at work. We are a spiritual organism. I'm not preaching to anybody in particular here because this hasn't come up in a while, but I just think it's a good reminder for us. As Jesus is on the way to the cross, he saw fit to stop and address these kinds of things. You realize that businesses and churches have two distinctly different purposes. If you're running a business, I hope for your sake and that of your family that your goal is to make some money. Probably ought to be trying to do that. The church, however, we're not in the business to make money. We're in the business to make money. Disciples. Two totally different things. You know what's hard about running the church as a business is the fact that effectiveness in the church is not always measured quantitatively. You can't put it on a spreadsheet. You know what I'm talking about? It's people. How do you put spiritual growth on a spreadsheet? Because you know what people do? They take one step forward and about 14 back. It's just the way it goes. You know what I'm talking about. People are messy, their lives aren't always easy. I'll just be honest with you. We have business principles that we try to operate by. We try to make wise financial decisions. We have trustees. We have a treasurer. We have a church council. We have deacons. We have all these different groups that help us to make sure that the decisions we're making are not only biblical, but are wise as best we can financially. We we want to do that. There's There's nothing wrong with that. We also, we try to make good decisions based on what's going on now and what we want to see God be doing in the future of the church. And so we try to make sure, and we've got great and very smart people that help to make those kinds of decisions. When it comes to taking care of our children, all of these kids were checked in. They got a sticker, and many of you are holding that sticker right now. We have a child protection policy that is a good business plan, if you understand what I mean. We're going to make sure that as best we can, we operate by those principles, but... Just like Jesus walked in and said, what are you all doing? I don't want on my watch here, and I would assume for the majority of you, you don't want on your watch, for us to let business principles overshadow the mission that God has given us. Jesus walked in and he didn't find the people on mission. He found a business that was operating sort of like a fast food restaurant because the people that were buying he had a problem with too. It says he threw out all those who were buying and selling. They would come up and say, you know what, hey, let me just get as quickly as I can the most efficient and effective sacrifice and then give me the animal and I'm going to pull up and give me the dollar menu animal. You know what you realize, by the way, this is totally off the subject. I was in McDonald's the other day and there is, there's no dollar menu anymore. It's $1. fifty. The McDouble, the McChicken, dollar fifty Anyway. That's what they. I, I'm a fast food. Like, give me the cheapest thing that I, that's on the menu. I just want to eat. Okay, I go to a fast food restaurants. What I want. That's what these folks who are coming to buy something. Give me the quickest, easiest thing. What is it? Two does. Okay, I'll take it, and I'm on, I'm on out the door. Just make sure that it doesn't take much time. There's no real commitment. The problem is sometimes in our churches, we have a drive-through restaurant mentality. Make the, sur- the sermon short and quick. Real quick service, let's get it over with. We've got to be the Church of Christ to lunch, okay? Stockade's going to fill up, we know, okay? That's the way it goes. Dinner bell, you know, you got to wait there for a while. They're open now. The shorter the sermon, the better. If I don't have to do anything, that's even better. Get somebody to serve me. Quality, I ain't too worried about it. Just let me come in and get out really, really quick. That's kind of what Jesus found. And I think what's worse than him finding a business or fast food restaurants, he really kind of found a little country club mentality. Look, look real quick in verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Well, you've made it into a den of w- What he says to them is is the the mission, the focus should be on this idea of this is a house of prayer and the other gospels add for all nations, which is actually the quote in Isaiah, for all the nations... And instead, they've made it sort of a, well, it's an us versus them, it's a country club mentality. Because where they were buying and selling all this stuff was in the only part of the temple complex that the non-Jewish people were allowed to be. And so the only place that they could come and worship God was a super Walmart, if you understand what I mean. All this buying and selling going on, all this noise, and these people are coming there simply to worship God, and Jesus says, you just turn it in to a country club. The only people you care about is you. People already there. They had an inward focus, very little diversity, and lots of evangelistic apathy. The problem Jesus had, he said, it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. He wanted it to be Christ-centered, to be prayer-driven, to be Bible-based, to be others-focused, And ultimately to be, as he would say in Matthew 28, a disciple-making factory. Let me just encourage us, and I promise you the first point is longer than the next two, to recapture if we need to, to reiterate, to constantly be a broken record on the fact that we exist to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. We are not a business. We are not a fast food restaurant. We are not a country club. We are the people of God gathered together here in this building for the purpose of fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. You say, well, okay, how do we do that? Let me just encourage you. I look out and I see a lot of different people who are involved in a lot of different things. I can't be at every single thing. I can't run every single meeting, and I don't even want to because those are things that other folks need to be doing. But let me encourage you as best you can. If you want to help our church become this mission-based disciple-making factory, then help us to build everything that we have and everything that we do around that mission. Every, Every building, every piece of land, every meeting, every activity. Let's help each other, remind each other that it needs to be. Is it about making disciples? And if it's not, we ain't doing it. If it's not, we're going a different direction. Evaluate where you are, your, your class, your group, your committee, whatever it may be, and help us stay on the right track. First is mission, but our building must also represent, we'll see in verse 14, healing. Matthew was not exactly concerned with chronology here, and so there's some that I read this week who say this may have happened uh, a little different time, but, but it's interesting. What he's putting together here is the fact that Jesus corrects them on what they were doing wrong and then showed them how to do it right. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple complex, and he healed them. Jesus threw out everybody that was doing it wrong. And then he sits there. And the people who so desperately needed him, who so desperately needed the mission, were then welcomed and were healed. The problem is, as we see in verse 15, that <clears throat> when the kind of people whose lives need to be changed start showing up at church, it causes some problems. You realize that? You ever had that happen to you? I really want to reach people. And then those people start showing up. I ain't so sure. You know why? Because they're lame and blind. They mess things up. I'll be honest with you. They don't know how to act. They don't keep their mask on and pretend like everything's fine. They actually admit that they have spiritual, emotional, and psychological and relational problems. Men, they'll tell you. I got some issues. They make us feel uncomfortable. We don't know what to say to them. They, they, their lives make us angry because why are you doing all those things? And too many times we're not like Jesus. We're more like the Pharisees. And we become indignant when we see those people, whoever those people for you might be. But the truth is we can't fulfill the mission of If we're reaching the already reached, and if we're helping the already helped, and if we're serving the already served. For Jesus, it was simply, here are people in need, so guess what? I'm going to meet the need. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen next. Discipleship, ministry, outreach, fulfilling the mission of Jesus. It's going to require that we be involved in the lives of people who desperately need spiritual and psychological and emotional and relational healing. Jesus sat there in the temple complex and those people who had those physical ailments representing for us far more than just physical things. They came to him. Their lives were not nice and neat and yet he healed them. I really hope and pray that our church building represents lives being changed over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And I really hope that for my sake and for your sake that we can get to a point where we admit our need for spiritual healing for psychological healing, for mental and emotional and relational healing. And we just say, I'm coming to the body of Christ because this is where I know I can be healed. This is the people through which God will work in my life. Our building must represent healing. And I'll just tell you, when I was a youth minister years ago, some of the folks that would come From the neighborhood behind our church. And I'll just kind of tell you, they weren't exactly the nicest characters in the world. They came from some really, really rough situations. And yet they showed up. And I did my best to, number one, swallow the first thing that came to my mind, which is, you know what, you just drive me crazy because you won't do anything that I ask you to do. You know what I'm talking about? And then I did my best to try as best I could to defend those folks and say, these are the people we're trying to reach. If the lame and the blind can't come to Jesus in us, then we might as well, and I say this, we, we might as well close the doors, sell the building, and stay at home on Sunday morning. I don't mean that as condescending. I don't even mean that toward anybody. But let's make sure that as Elm Grove Baptist Church, the people, when they drive by, when they hear our name, that they say, you know what, that's a people of God that love you no matter what. They love you no matter what you've done, and you're welcome there. Healing. And thirdly, our building must also represent worship. Mission, healing. Worship. I love verses 15 and 16. Look at it. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple complex, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he told them. And I love, listen, just so you know, if you ever read the line when Jesus says to the Pharisees, Have you never read? These dudes knew scripture forward and backward. They knew everything about it. And he's like, "Uh, so apparently you guys don't really know what the Bible says, right? Apparently you haven't read this. Jesus kind of being a smart aleck, which I really like. I think that's really cool. (laughs) Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. The kids started worshiping Jesus. They were mimicking what they had heard when he entered Jerusalem. And they're just singing it. You know how kids are. They're going to do what you do. And so they're just mimicking and singing. And the adult religious leaders had a problem with it because what the word signified was that Jesus was Lord and worthy of worship. And they said, hold on just a second. And they go to him and they say, do you hear what these kids are saying? Do you know what they're calling you? Are you not going to stop them and say, "No, no, no, guys, that's not who I am"? And Jesus, as always, holds up kids as great examples. And he said, "Yeah, I hear. But you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing too." Now, none of us here today are going to argue with kids worshiping Jesus. I mean, I talk. Listen, I talk. Some of our older folks, I talk to you, and you just—I know you're so excited to see all the kids come down on Sunday morning. And that's great. There's no, don't ever stop being excited about that. So this isn't about, well, those kids, we're not going to let them sing any praises and whatever. But the problem was not just that the kids were singing praises or shouting praises. The problem was that the Pharisees wouldn't get on board with also praising Jesus. And the truth is that although sometimes we really like to see all the kids, we're not worshiping ourselves. We let them sort of put on the worship show. Hey, isn't that cool? But sometimes we're not worshiping Jesus. We have the same objections. I'm convinced that one of the great reasons that so many more people in the Bible belt of America don't truly come to faith in Jesus is that what they want from Jesus is comfort and make my life a little better and it's good for my kids because I like the family values and the morals that are taught and all that's wonderful and great. But we're not about just teaching moral values. We're not just about teaching kids to be good and to do the right thing. We want to teach them and we want ourselves to learn to truly worship Jesus. And I wonder what would happen if we weren't so reluctant. If we didn't give odd looks or whisper. If we simply worshipped the Lord. Some things that keep us from worshiping, I'm sure you can relate to these. Maybe, maybe in some cases it's because we don't truly believe Jesus is worthy of our worship. Or we don't engage our minds and our hearts and our emotions and we just sing. Or maybe we just like everything. If it's, If it's not on the order of worship, then it cannot happen. And I've seen sometimes the most powerful experiences are when God just interrupts what we're doing and throws us all sideways. Maybe you can relate to the fact that you get a little nervous sometimes when we start and anybody even mentions it, not even in an official called business meeting, but somebody just mentions about any changes whatsoever to what's already going on. Sometimes I'm like this. Sometimes I'd rather die than have anything different from what I prefer in church. And we like seeing kids at church, but we don't really like their influence sometimes because they're a little excited. They like to play and run. I wrote about that in the, in the newsletter, by the way. And, and I apologize if I made—I well, don't really apologize—made you angry. Maybe I was supposed to make you angry. I don't know. But I love when the kids come in here, and after it's over, listen. If you want to see kids have fun, come in here after everybody's gone, and just a few of us kind of hanging around, and folks come back in with their families and whatever. And you know where they like to play? They like to play right here in the baptistry. There's no water in it. That make it more fun for them, I'm sure. But you know what? They like to play and to have fun and to sing Hosanna to the Son of David. And I'm going to tell you, I ain't going to stop them. They may not fully understand it. They may run around make a little noise and do stuff that your parents smacked you in the back of the head for doing when you were a kid. I get it. But we're going to let them have some fun and lead us, if they need to, to have an exuberant worship of God. Our building doesn't matter but it does. I I hope that if you have ever considered being involved here, being more involved here, maybe wanting to talk about church membership, or you just say, you know what, why am I here in the first place? I hope it's because you want to be identified with the mission, the healing, and the worship of Jesus Christ. And I hope that when people drive by Elm Grove Baptist Church's building, when they see our Facebook page, when they see you at work or in line at Walmart or wherever in the world they see you, that they immediately think, you know what, that's the church that I know is up to something. (laughs) They want to see the mission of Jesus. They love people and want to see them healed. And they worship the Lord when they're together. You are loved and you are forgiven and you are accepted in Jesus Christ. And the mission that we have is to make sure that others understand that for themselves. His mission was to bring healing to your soul so that you would then worship Him like you're created to do. And there are so many broken people that need to hear that same message. So today as we surrender ourselves together, I hope and pray that you'll surrender yourself to the Lord as well. Mission, healing, worship. Let our building, let our facilities be identified with those things. And guess what? Our building then really, really does matter. Let's pray together. it's a different kind of message today I know because it's one sort of for us and maybe not just for you but I wonder I wonder what God has spoken to you I, I, I wonder if he said anything specific to you about his mission about his healing about worship but how you can help to make sure that the building at Elm Grove Baptist Church represents those things Maybe you've got questions. You say, I don't know what it means. What, what, what's up with church membership? I just you, you don't have to join today. I just be happy to answer your questions. Or maybe you say, you know what? My commitment today is to, to make sure that everything that I'm involved with, that I'm going to help us remember that we're to be about mission and healing and worship. And I sure hope you will. Use the influence God has given you. Help us to be a church that's about those things. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for this building that we get to meet in. God, I thank you for those people years and years ago who gave of themselves their money, their time, their effort. And in some cases, built this place with their own hands. God, we're grateful. Lord, we know that in and of itself, the building doesn't matter. But God, we know that it does matter for what it represents. So, Lord, today we just humble ourselves before you and we surrender to you what this building stands for. Lord, make us a people of mission and of healing and of worship. So that in this community, when folks drive by our church on 94 East, that they'll know that they have driven past a place that represents those things. Lord, we pray that you would use us in a very unique and special way in East Callaway County. Lord, we know we don't know what all that means. But Lord, help us. Put us on mission. Bring healing in and through us. And Lord, may all that we do be done to worship and honor you. God, I pray for those folks here today who maybe have heard something specific. And a message to us, they've heard something for them change our lives, Lord. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you for what this week represents, the great sacrificial death of our Savior. Lord, we pray for next Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. Lord, help us to be prepared to celebrate our freedom. Put on our hearts, Lord, people this week, that we can just take advantage of their willingness maybe to go to church next Sunday fill this place, Lord, with your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we close with this song?